Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to bluenile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at bluenile.com for $50 off your purchase. bluenile.com code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I wasn't a funny kid, I don't think, but it was more, when, when I got to high school, I would, ju- I would get home and judge my day on how many people I made laugh. I'd go, well, that was a good day then. Mm. I could have been failing English, but I made everyone laugh at lunchtime. That is radio broadcaster Stav Davidson, and this is the Osher Ginsberg Podcast. Welcome to the Osher Ginsberg Podcast, episode 171 of the show with Stav Davidson. I'm Osher Ginsberg. Thank you so much for being here. Welcome to the show. If you're new, if you have been here a while, welcome back. Thank you to everyone that has supported the show on Patreon. Patreon.com slash O-S-H-E-R is where you can support the show for as little as $5 a month. You get access to exclusive episodes. There is a brand new one up there with Luke Heggie right now. Check your inbox, check your spam folder, check wherever emails that you don't normally get go because I I sent that out last week. Uh, That goes for all the people that have uh, pledged monthly money. Uh, You would have seen it in the last few days. Uh, There is a bunch of uh, reward levels, though, if you want to pledge more than five bucks a month. There's uh, things like one-on-one Skype calls, of which I've done a few already. Uh, More than happy and, in fact, really look forward to uh, speaking with people who get in touch on on, uh, Patreon so we can have a Skype call. That's always super fun. So do let us know if that's the sort of thing that you're interested in. I'm more than happy to uh, to do that because it's uh, it's kind of exciting. But it all all the money goes to help production of the show. Uh, none of the money that comes in through Patreon goes anywhere else except paying Andy Ma, my producer, and Haley Van Spania, my production coordinator. Uh, these are two people that, without which, there's no way that I could ever get this show up. So uh, thank you very much to everyone who donates, well, who pledges money every single month to make sure this show comes to air. It's about the cost of a... Well, the other day, half of a cold-pressed juice once a month, if you live anywhere in the fancy parts of town, that is. Thanks to everybody that sent me a podsy this week. That's hashtag P-O-D-S-I-E. That is a photograph taken with your phone looking at whatever you're looking at right now. So take the phone out of your pocket or purse or bag or if you're driving, pull over. 
uh, whip open your camera app, shoot a photo, hit share, and send it to me. Send Osher email at gmail.com or open up Snapchat or Instagram, tag me in either of those. Uh, hashtag PODSIE. It's a, it's a really interesting way for um, me to see where you are and what, you, what you're doing and what your life is like. And uh, it, it's really great to share them, actually, to, to show other people who listen to the show what other people who listen to the show are up to. Because we're all in this together, you know. I'm happy to, to create a community here because that's what we're all doing. There's thousands and thousands of you, and you all have something in common. You all enjoy the show every week, so you may as well get to know each other. Um, you can always send me an email. Send email at gmail.com. Got some great emails this week, people sharing what's going on in their lives. I'm super glad you're writing. Some people going through some tricky times. Uh, just remember that we're all in this together. I promise you're not alone. Uh, all of our brains are different. And that's what makes us so interesting as human beings. And if you have a little difficulty operating outside of what's considered normal, I'm doing the thing with my fingers there, normal, don't despair because there's more people out on the fringes than you think there are. And you know, just remember that no one gets better alone. You might be like me and need a little help when the thoughts get too much and get overwhelming, or you might need a little help uh, stopping drinking. Um, or like my Uber driver the other day, who's diabetic, he's getting sicker, but he can't stop eating chocolate. You just have to just reach out and ask, start with your doctor and then realize as well that there's groups of people all over every city in Australia or around the world. In fact, that are ready and willing and hoping that you walk through the door and put your hand up and say, I need help because it helps them to help you. It does. Don't deny them the opportunity of being of service. And it helps you to help others. That's the truth. That's the only thing that creates lasting happiness. Go back and listen to the episode with E.G. Hanshimith if you want to know more about that. Um, so, yeah, just, you know, start with your doctor. Hey, how you doing? Can't stop eating chocolate. Help me out here. And then, you know, there's no shame in, in, in putting your hand up and asking for help. In fact, that's the, that's the, the clever thing to do. The, the silly thing to do is, is thinking you can crush it alone because you can't. I don't know you, but I'm going to tell you, you can't do it. I tried. And in my experience and from every single thing I've ever seen, unless you got help, it's very, very hard to do it by yourself. So go and get a part of a community of people. Makes you feel good. Uh, to check in with you this week, uh, it's our first week of shooting. The Bachelor 2017. All of you know who it is by now. It's the beautiful Matty Johnson. He's a wonderful, wonderful man. Uh, it's an exciting week because, you know, on one hand, it's enormously taxing hours. But on the other hand, it's super exciting. A couple of years ago, I was unemployed. And now I get to go. I was living alone, unemployed in another country. And now I get to go from my house that the bank owns, but my name is on a piece of paper uh, with Audrey, uh, with the you know my wife and child to a job that I love, that I get to do all night, then come home and then do another job on the radio without sleeping and then go to bed around 10 in the morning. It's so exciting. What an exciting thing I get to do. Yeah, I'm absolutely busted, but it's still super exciting. I did get to work a bit tired the other night before I managed to find my way to a cup of coffee 
my call time is around about 10.30. Call time is basically when you're supposed to, on a, any kind of TV or film production, your call time is when you're supposed to show up and that you're called to this time. My call time was 10.30. I got there a bit early so I could go through the scripts and rewrite things with the producers. And um, I, I was like, okay, so I headed, I headed down to make up for 10.30. I said, all right, I'll see you shortly. And I snuck out of the control room and it's very bright in the control room and very dark outside of the control room. And there's a marble step because it's up in the top floor of the mansion where we're shooting. And there's a, like a, it was a home theater or it is a home theater when we're not there. And uh, then there's this big set of stairs that come down from it, but there's a landing at the top with these three weirdly shaped and, and lengthened stairs. They're just not kind of standard stair step size. And I went to close the door behind me and I looked down thinking that the step was where I thought it was, but it was a bit dark. I was still getting adjusted to um, standing up. Um, the, the bloody meds I'm on make me dizzy when I stand up. Anyway, I put my foot down thinking that's where the step was. Wasn't there. Put my foot to the left thinking, oh, I'll get the next step. It also wasn't there. So I went from the top landing to three steps down. And by this point, my left foot is at somewhat of an angle trying to find some sort of hold. And I ended up rolling straight over the ankle and I'd already shifted my balance and down I went. And <laughs> it's all quiet in the control room. And the next thing they hear is my water bottle and my phone and me spluttering all over the marble it sounded like a wet towel being slapped on a pool deck <laughs> with the clattering of my phone across the marble and uh um, my lighting guy ran out to ask if i was okay yeah i'm fine i'm fine i'm fine i'm fine i wasn't uh but now my left foot is somewhat balloon like um and i'm trying to strap it up so i'm limping around at the moment which does suck because i was like all right that week's out of the way. This week on the bike, let's lose these extra kilos. <laughs> I guess it's going to be another week or so. Oh, well. More coffee, I think. That's the answer to everything. I've just been trying to focus on staying present with all this going on. Just trying to stay present, try to stay mindful of all the things that I've found that have helped me, besides wonderful medication over the past few uh, months. There's a lot to be said. And you would be surprised, in fact, at what closing your eyes, taking three or four deliberate breaths and just focusing on the sensation of the exact point that your lips touch will do for you. It takes you about 30 seconds and you would be surprised at how quickly that can undo a lot of runaway thinking and, and, and looping of thoughts and all kinds of stuff. So I've been doing a bit of that this week, that's for sure. So let me tell you about my guest today. I am very, very happy to get this man on. Stav Davidson, he's kind of known as the survivor in Australian radio. I think he's been through about seven different lineups, but has remained the sole common player in the 105.3, that is B105 and then Hit 105, breakfast team in Brisbane. That's no mean feat when you think about the breakfast show wherever you live around the world. They change more times than you can possibly think. Like, think of how many times the lineup of your local breakfast radio shows have changed. Stav's been there for 11 years, 12 this year, never left. In fact, the other day, he took a day off to take his daughter to her first day at kindy, and that was the first day off he'd taken in five years. I am so grateful to work with Stav. I learn from him every single day. He is funnier and faster than anyone I've ever known, and I know some fast and funny people. And the most mind-blowing thing is that he never writes any of it. 
it comes, well, some of the songs he writes, but the stuff that we're just doing when we're on air, it comes out of his mouth sometimes before he's even thought of it. Thought of it. In fact, he often says the first time he hears the punchline is when he speaks it. Now think about the level of subconscious calculation that's going on. Think about how much mastery he's achieved. And he talks about how he achieved it in this show. Think about how much mastery he's achieved that he is able to put all of the gag together and so it comes out of him like a jazz player improvising. So the first time they hear the notes is when it's coming out of the end of the sax. It's very similar to how Stav goes. And it's amazing to be a present, to be present to watch because he's, he's fucking good. His story is very intense. I'll tell that to you right bloody now. There's a trigger warning up top. Okay. Uh, if you want to fast forward to halfway through where we just kind of go on from, uh, you know, just one of more of the talking shop stuff, but the early life stuff, there's talk about IV drug use. There's talk about women's shelters. And later on, there's talk about him losing his dad. Um, so if that's likely to put you in a dark place today, maybe go listen to another episode and uh, we'll come back to this one when you feel a bit better. I couldn't be more grateful to work with my whole team every single morning, Maddie and Abby as well. But getting to work with Stav every morning is like a, it's like a masterclass in finding where the funny is amongst whatever the hell we've just talked about for the last three minutes. There's the big gag that's so big we all just can't help but laugh out loud. He's incredible at what he does. He's a very professional human being, and he has quite a story, which I am very, very happy to bring you, well, at least part of it today. So come enjoy your chat in an uh, unused news booth, which we found uh, just after our show about a week ago. And this is me having a lovely chat with Stav Davidson. I'm so disgusted in myself. This is my third chocolate biscuit this morning. Well, you didn't have to divulge it to anybody. You know, keep it to yourself. But I have a day like, oh, fuck it. I'll just eat whatever I want. Yeah, right. Yeah, you got to have those days. But that's every day. <laughs> I'm trying to help you here, man. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. That's every day. Oh, boy, hang on. I'll put this in my... <laughs> okay, ready. What, what I'm watching... How much they smoke in Blade Runner? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, how used to, used to smoke in old movies? I mean, because it wasn't a thing. And now you can't do it unless All it's, the time. You know? All the time. Yeah. Um, you know, it was a way to interact with a woman, mm. offering someone a light. Mm-hmm. It was a way to... Yeah, you know, there's all these things. Well, my favorite back in the day when they brought in the censorship and if, if with the ways they got around it, if you knew what they were doing. So if a woman lit a cigarette for a guy and handed it to them, they just have sex. That was that was the code for them just having sex, but they couldn't show that they'd had what sex. What if a so. woman lit a cigarette and handed it to him while they were on a train going into a tunnel? <laughs> That's porn. That's the porn film. <laughs> How are you, Stav? I'm good. I'm, I've been looking forward to this. How long for, have you been Stav? Uh I've been stabbed before since before I worked in the radio, so probably about fifteen years now. Who was the first person to call you Stav? Uh, a friend of mine, Greg Sullivan, who you might know, used to work at Triple M. Sully, uh, his wife uh, called me Stav Stavros at a party, and it just stuck. Really? Yeah. And then when I started radio, I knew that they would call me Stewie or Davo or something. Oh, because so like, your name's Stuart Davidson. Yeah, so I gave him my nickname rather than them force one upon Stewie or Davo. You know. Gotta oh, be wacky. I know all you about know the all FM about radio it. nickname. <laughs> Good lord. Yeah. And how old were you when you came to Brisbane? Uh, I was twelve when I came to Brisbane. 
Yeah. Did you come and go, or was Brisbane where you finally stopped moving? Brisbane was where we finally stopped moving. So we went Glasgow, Geraldton in Western Australia. How old Sydney, were you then? Uh, eight when I left Glasgow, nine when we left Geraldton, nine or ten, and then 12 when we left Sydney. What do you remember about Glasgow? It's cold, um, rough, dark, but all my family's there, so nice, nice memories. But, yeah, I'm, I'm very glad I didn't grow up there. What does rough look like? Rough looks like you're in this middle of town and there's a um, empty building that's that's crumbling, um, and that's still there. Uh, and just this sounds terrible, but it's a hard life. Ugly, ugly people. Do you know? Like everyone looks like they've been, they've been carved out of rock. No kale shakes in Glasgow. No kale shakes. If there are, they deep fry them. <laughs> <laughs> two of my two of my best mates are Glaswegians. Right. So you know. Yeah. 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 And it's a thing. I've said this. I took my wife back, and she noticed the sky hangs very low there. Yeah, it does. So it's very oppressive, and and you never see the sun, and and it's dark, and yeah. But the people are fantastic. It's because they're yeah. drunk. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is very I true. I went there in the height of summer. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, that two weeks. <laughs> well, it was very confusing. I was still drinking back then. I was there for a friend's wedding, and um, uh, the sun was still fairly high. Mm-hmm. It was a la- an afternoon sun, and I mm-hmm. thought, oh, I've still got a couple of hours. I, haven't, I can have a few more tenants. This is fine. This is totally fine. There's mm. still a few hours left in the day. It's still, I'm still day drinking. This mm. is totally cool. Hasn't even gone night yet. Mm-hmm. I'm fine, 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 fine. And it's 11.45 p.m. Yes. And the sun is yeah. still off the horizon. Yeah. And then it decides to dip yeah. around about midnight. Mm. And then it popped back up at 10 past one or yeah. 10 past two. Yeah, those are the good times. And then, But then when it's winter, if we, if we were at the hours that we work... We'd be lucky we'd may get an hour of sunshine, but if you work in an office and you get in at eight and you leave at five, it's it's nighttime the entire time. You know, you just don't see sun. No wonder people get that what seasonal affective disorder. Twitchy, best mm. acronym ever. Mm. Spells out sad. Lovely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it, the weather. Well, the year we left, it rained three hundred and thirty days out of the year. That'll do it. Yeah, and half of that was acid rain because Chernobyl had just happened. How so, great uh, was that? A part of you guys leaving? Uh, yes, a little bit. I think we'd already planned because it's a massive process, or it was back then. Uh, and so the man that my mum married was planning to come out. Not your dad. Um, not my dad. Um, and uh, so he, he'd already been planning on, on coming out. But, but that was like, – I, I used to go to my forest and there'd be guys with Geiger counters taking readings of, of what was – because the cloud lifted up from Russia and just came straight over Europe. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. For 86 mm. was, was when that went yeah, down. Yeah, and so we left in early 88. Wow, Geiger mm. counters in the forest. Mm. What, like it's a Stranger Things episode? Yeah, like a Doctor Who episode. What? Yeah. Yeah. What? So, so to take, because we do, we do joke a lit, well, you joke on the radio show mm. quite a bit about your dad. Yes. We'll get there. Okay. So, how did your dad meet your mum? Uh, I don't know if I know that. I, I, I know they were involved in the party scene of Glasgow. Um, it might have even been university, uh, but I don't actually, I don't know if I've ever talked to, to my mum about that. Right. Yeah. And you have a big sister? I do, 22 months older, Sharon. So, same dad? Yes. Okay. Mm. So, your parents met. So, what does the party scene look like? Uh, have you seen Train Spotting? Imagine yeah. that, but in the 70s. All right. Yeah. Yeah. But same amount of alcohol? Same amount of alcohol and drugs. Yeah. Right. Yeah, wild times. So, yeah. quite hard drugs. Yes, quite hard drugs that, as far as I'm aware, my dad was the supplier of. Oh, so your mum lived with the dealer? Yes, she went through a dealer drug phase days. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. So your yeah. big sister would been would have been an infant mm-hmm. in the house, mm-hmm. and there was mm. probably, so was I, yeah. and there was dealing going on. Probably yes. Wow. Yeah. 
Yeah. And you had a yeah. somewhat of a complicated childbirth, didn't you? I did. Well, my mum was, was doing, because she was 18 when she met him. He was 21. Uh, she was four months pregnant with me when she found out that she was pregnant. And then I was uh, six weeks premature. So, she so was drinking only, and using. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, so I was, yeah, six weeks premature. I was deaf and blind. I had meningitis. I had septicemia and I was on a life support system in a Glaswegian hospital. Which your mother decided to turn off. Turn off. They said there was a 50% chance that I'd be a vegetable if I lived, so she turned off the machine. Yeah. And the coin flip worked out. Apparently. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. How old were you when she told you that? Uh, I, that's one of those stories I've known all my life, I guess. Uh, I don't remember her actually sitting me down and telling me, but um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, that's my story. Wow. Yeah. So that, you can see the, is there an exclamation mark on my... There is. That's the drip. I had five drips in me, one on my forehead, two in each foot, two in each arm. Yeah. And but this the best thing for me, I don't remember any of that. Yeah, you know, so it wasn't traumatic for me. And yeah, I, I I put that down to I I don't get sick very often, and I I don't. And when I do, I can sort of manage it. I think that's because my body had to fight so hard in infancy that it's just gone nope. And you know, you, yeah. it could have just left you on those drips a little longer. You could have been Wolverine. I know, right? Just a little bit more. I know. Just a little, a little, little bit, bit more. Did did childbirth, uh, having two kids, did that? Like your mum, sometimes those scenes are very hard to get out of, particularly mm. if there's addiction involved, mm. particularly if you're living with the dealer. Mm -hmm. Did, did uh, the birth of your, your sister and you affect your mum's uh, habits? Yeah, uh, well, that's why I think eventually she decided to get us out of there. And um, that she tells the story, she, something happened um, with the, 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 the crowd and she, she, she will never tell me the exact story, but she came home and there was a message scrawled on the, on the bathroom mirror and she went, that's it, I'm, I'm done. And she's never told me what that message said, but I imagine it was something to do with her children being in danger and, yeah, she, she got out of there. Oh. Yeah. And was that also leaving your dad? Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Far out, man. Mm. That's a, it's, it's interesting, you know, when we had the other day, we had Superintendent Jim Keogh in the now former superintendent of the Queensland Police and he talked about the heroin problem in Brisbane mm. in the 80s and it's, I remember learning about it from my parents and just how much of a, you know, ICE is most definitely a massive scourge mm. on the population now, mm -hmm. but how much of an intense scourge heroin was. Mm. And yeah, back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. And has your mum openly talked about using? No. I, and I don't even know if she was. I just assume she doesn't like to talk about it. And she's actually said, I, I said to her once at a party, because we'll probably talk about more of my childhood, that I said to her, I've got, I've got a, a show. I've got a Melbourne comedy show in my upbringing, but I don't do it out of respect to you because she, she works in the community now. She's, you know, uh, and she was drunk and she said, you do it, you do it if you want it, you do it. And then she came over 10 minutes later and went, please don't do it. Please don't do it. So, so when she dies, mum, if you're listening, when she dies, I'll have a, a book a book right to, yeah well so, if there's anything that you don't want to put I, in this yeah. podcast just let me know i'll, yeah, cut, I'll cut it out because mm. i wouldn't want you know to it's it's never good to out anybody mm. um but you know if it is a part of your you know your childhood let me yeah. turn this off there we go, there go. sorry we're in a radio studio look are you paneling I'm, don't tell anyone that i know <laughs> what the buttons do <laughs> Don't tell anyone because if you, they figure out that you can panel, then they make you do it for they free. They make you do it for free. Mm -hmm. So no, I don't know how to panel, but I'm not going to have that bus come through the outdoor speakers. Um, so, was she able to get along without your dad? Or yeah, 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 she was fine. Um, she was a single mum for a long time. 
um, at various stages. Um, but yeah, she's she's a strong, independent Scottish woman. She yes, she has she punched a doctor once um, that gave her the wrong advice about us. She yeah, she's she's a powerhouse. Yeah, so she was fine. And at what point did she meet the guy that? Followed over here. Uh, we were. I was probably about. Was eight. So probably about six, um, six or seven. And she met the new guy, whose name was also Stuart, which was a bit weird. You don't want to hear your parents having sex and her call out your name. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and he was not a nice man, uh, but he got us to Australia. So I'll be forever grateful to him. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It can be hard sometimes in. Uh, Certainly, if there was a, a darkness in in one relationship, to not to, to it's, mm. e- it's easy. It's from my experience uh, of what I've observed, it's easy to follow patterns mm. inadvertently and mm. suddenly realize how the fuck did I end up with the same sort of person? Yeah, how did that happen? Yeah, shit. Yeah, and different <laughs> sort, but yeah, he was not. Yeah, what industry was he in that brought him out here? Social work. That's, you know, <laughs> yeah, and that's what my mum was in, um, social work, uh, and they came out here uh, and they worked in um, Stay, which is like a, a halfway home for people coming out of jail and getting back into the yeah. community with, with drug problems and stuff. In so. Geraldton. In Geraldton, yeah. And for folks who've never been to Geraldton, me mm, being one of them, yeah. uh, what's, what's 1988 Geraldton look like? Like hot Glasgow. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, they had a, a lot of um, lot of problems with the Aboriginal community there back in the day, um, and because and a lot of um, lot of drugs and it's such an isolated town, uh, so there was a lot of crime and, and it's stuff. Just mining but, out there, mining, cray fishing, a lot of cray fishing. But it was that sort of great place where the the town consisted of two cops back in the day. It, it's bigger now, and it's a it's a cruise ship port. But back in the day, so there was a guy who lived out on a property and he got caught for speeding so often, but he co- he couldn't live without his car. So the police literally welded his gearbox so he could only get into second gear. <laughs> like that's the sort of stuff you were dealing with. <laughs> that was their solution. Yeah, so he could still get in from the farm, but he could only go 60. Um, so it was that sort of, yeah, small small country town, which was a culture shock coming from a big city to a small country town, you know, where we were living with cray fishermen and, yeah. What we, was it like for you then suddenly turning up at a primary school in Geraldton, mm. which I can only imagine with the variations of a regional Australian dialect. Mm-hmm. So they were basically speaking something you would have had a hard time understanding. Yes, they were. It was a bit, I was a bit lucky in one way for that because that would have been my fifth primary school anyway, uh, because we did move around quite a lot. Um, so I was used to that, but I wasn't used to being such an outsider with my accent. And then what would happen was I was trying to fit in at school. So I would start, I fell into an Australian accent and uh, I'd get being paid out at school for sounding Scottish. And then I'd go home and my sister and mum would pay me up for sounding Australian. <laughs> Just like, I can't win. Um, but it was, it was terrifying. It was legitimately terrifying. I was, and I was a shy child anyway. I was very introverted and wouldn't talk to anyone. And, and so it was, yeah, it was pretty tough. Yeah. How old were you when you were this tall? I only became this tall quite late. Uh, even like in high school, my sister was still taller than me. And then one morning, I just really? shut right up. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, but, Geraldton to where? Geraldton. Then one day I was at school and my mum met me uh, at lunchtime with our car packed with everything she could fit in it. And we hopped in the car and we drove across the Nullarbor Plain and we moved to Sydney. That yeah. was it. You were in your school uniform driving. Mm-hmm. I think, as far as I know, because I was in Ace at the time playing handball, and I'm sure there's a plaque dedicated to me because I just never came back. 
<laughs> this this square will forever belong to Stuart Davidson. Uh, there were some issues. Uh, one of her businesses had gone bankrupt. The guy that she had come out here with, they had separated. He was suing her for custody of us, even though we weren't his kids. Uh, and so she just hopped in the car with the, the new man and we drove. Oh, there was a, there was a new fella there at that point? New, there was a new man by that point, yes. And yeah. Who she met at the halfway house. Right. Yeah, as an occupant. Okay. Yeah. So... Boundaries are uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. a recurring theme here. Yes. So, so yeah. I just can't imagine. How old were you when that happened? Uh, 11, 11. Far so. out. Yeah. So to be in yeah. eleven, seeing mm. your mum turn up at lunchtime, mm. which is always exciting. Mm. Ooh, Ooh yeah. I might get out of the afternoon periods. Yeah. This is going to be great. I, I, I knew. I knew that we were leaving. Uh, she'd said, "I'm going to come and get you at, at lunch, and we're going to go." But yeah, you so. didn't know where. No, no. And we drove for four days straight. Um, so south from Geraldton? South of Geraldton through Perth and then just Nullarbor of and nothing and then up to Sydney. Wow, what do you remember yeah. about the Nullarbor plane? Long. I remember we used to pause for corners. <laughs> it was like, oh, wee, because it's just a long straight line. I remember a lot of wedge-tailed eagles. They're humongous dinosaur-looking things. Massive. Uh, I remember the tapes we had. We listened to um, Sting's Dream of the Blue Turtles a lot, uh, which is a great album. Uh, and... Um, not much else. I remember the gas stations along the way uh, and the feeling of, even at that age, if we break down here, we're in a lot of trouble. What kind of car you know? it was it? It was a... Can I swear on this? Podcast? Yeah, you know It was a fucking second-hand EJ Holden that overheated at the drop of a hat. Yeah. Let's drive this across the desert. Yep. Yeah. That was the fun, adventurous... <laughs> Which, but I don't. This I don't want to sound like this. This all of this made me who I am today, and I wouldn't yeah. change it in a second. But it's still. You know. I mean, if you as a father now, I would never. You know, you look at your daughter <laughs> yeah. and go, yeah. at eleven, hmm. we're going to pull you out of school in the middle of the day from yeah. playing a, a handball game with your friends, hmm. and then drive for hmm. four days somewhere where you don't know where we're going. Hmm. We're just going far away. Mm-hmm. No yeah. iPads. Yeah. No. no nothing. No. 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 Yeah. At what point did you change out of your school uniform? Yes. <laughs> I don't even know. Probably later on because we just we literally drove. We just started going. So, Full on. Yeah, maybe when we got to Perth, I got, I got changed. I remember when I got to Sydney, uh, we got to Circular Quay and I hugged. I ran out and I hugged a television. <laughs> a television? What was a television doing in Circular Quay? Uh, it was like the, they had these monitors there that would show ads and stuff and I oh. hugged the two. Because TV, uh, I later realised this, but TV was, was my one because I had so much fluctuation in my life. TV was a constant, so I, I immersed myself in that, right. much like the cable guy, like literally. Oh, and, right. And that, in, in what I've realised now that all that was research for what I do now. So you know? even if it was, you know, a different house to what it was yesterday, Moonlighting's at, four, the same. at four o'clock, monkey magic's exactly. on. Exactly, exactly. No matter that, I, yeah. I don't, it's a black and white, I yeah. don't care. Yeah. I'm somewhere, four o'clock, monkey magic's mm-hmm. on, then Doctor Who, yeah. then I'm good. Exactly. All right. Yeah. yeah. It's so, so interesting mm. that, and I, I kind of, you know, when I think about that, the that here we are now, thirty years later, and we grew up in completely different parts of the country, but we can have a shared cultural memory. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, in thirty years from now, a, a, a two men who are seven years apart in age mm. going to be able to say, "I oh, remember that YouTube video of the yeah. cat." Yeah, and they're like, they, like the 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 cultural. Diet is so compl- so splintered. Mm-hmm. That's why. That's There's why no I even common hate the experience. fact that um, it's not it's not scheduled anymore. You watch TV 
at a different time to everybody. Yeah. You know, you get into school the next day and did you see Twin Peaks last night? And you either did and you're on it or you didn't and you could never watch it again. And now it's like, where are you up to? Yeah. You know, and I don't get that. I don't like it. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. and so Sydney for too long or straight Sydney to for a while. Uh, Sydney for about five, three years. Ish, yeah. the time my timing's a bit iffy, um, but three years. I was in grade seven, and then uh, we, when I moved up to um, Queensland, they made us re- made me repeat grade seven. Um, so maybe maybe a year or two, maybe a year. And in between that, while I was there, I went to Manly Primary, Annandale Primary, and Narrabeen Primary School. So three schools while I was there. In three years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah good times. Yeah. Uh, so the first school that you stayed at for a while mm-hmm. was. First, the longest well, was high school because you made a conscious effort. Um, I made a conscious effort to not pull us out of high school. Okay. So we still moved around. Um, so I, when I was in high school, I lived in Green Slopes, um, Woodridge uh, in a um, shelter uh, and uh, a couple other places. But we always we drove back from Woodridge to Green Slopes Primary so we could um, stay in the same high school. That's a grim word to hear, uh, shelter. Uh, uh. <laughs> What was that about? Oh, I don't know the ins and outs, but she left the guy and we stayed in a, a, a woman's shelter for about six weeks in Woodridge, maybe a bit longer. A lot of people have no concept of what that is mm-hmm. in that um, economically or any just just economically a lot of the time if a woman is staying home and looking after kids and mm. not working and surviving on money that... She may not be in control of the finances. You know, there's mm. you know some money for the groceries and maybe a little bit extra. Mm. That's the total sum of cash you've got in the world. Mm. And if she, if things go bad, mm. you can't afford to go anywhere. Yeah. And especially if you've got a family in town like you guys, yeah, yeah. then you end up. Mm-hmm. You know that that that. But you know, then that, that there is a place you can go. Yeah. Is and they're still remarkable. around. Actually, we visited one last year for for work. Um, which was tough, um, but yeah. So we stayed there for a while, and then they placed us in a in a house uh, with some other women from there that you all lived in as a, as your own house. So many halfway houses in your life, man. Know, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> met a lot of people. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what were the other kids that you met in those places like? Uh, most of them were younger, uh, and I don't, I, because I I always knew I never really got close to anyone because I knew in six months. I'd have to make a whole new other set of friends. So the other problem you've got here, Osh, is I once went through a lot of my childhood memories with my mum and about 50% of them hadn't happened. <laughs> and she's like, no, nah, that never happened. Uh, I was like, this happened. And vivid memories in my mind. She says, no, that, that never happened. And so I've just replaced my, my childhood memories with ones from popular films and oh, right. <laughs> Like that time that you you uh, you met a really beautiful white dog and you rode on his back. Yes, exactly. And you flew through the <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And my my other two sons, Chip and <laughs> you know. Yeah. So but um, And I really liked coffee and cherry pie. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Which is terrible. But I, I get a bit more focused around high school because we didn't we didn't move around so right. much. So, yeah. So what yeah. was what was that like to have, you know, stability or at least a regular circle of friends yeah that was great and i'm still friends with most of them now um and very good friends um but that was great but i think i mean the the problem you had was i never really felt that because i assumed at any given time we would you know she said that that was what was going to happen that wasn't necessarily what was going to happen yeah um but yeah we ended up doing it so going through your 
all your formative years knowing that at any moment we could, mum could show up with a car full of stuff and yeah. we're out of here. Yeah. Yeah. And as I said, during that time, I still had like 10 different houses that we lived in. Yeah. Yeah. So That's a heck of a, heck of a way to grow up, especially now when there's just so much focus on, you know, child focused parenting mm. when before it was very much like okay kids be back by sunset mm. yeah and just you'd look after yourselves now people mm. like dedicate their lives to mm. their children's upbringing yeah uh, and i don't begrudge any uh, uh, my mum's just doing what she had to do she'd made a lot of mistakes but uh, that I, I would never repeat um but you know it, it's life she was just surviving and doing the best she yeah. could so you know yeah uh, you know, at, at what time did you start to realise that, because everyone thinks their childhood's normal, mm. at what time did you start to realise that your childhood was different from other people's? Yeah, probably about six. <laughs> 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 Pretty early on, I think, it, yeah, because you, you, you go to all these other people's houses, mm. and, you know, and, and especially you meet those people, like, I've lived here all my life, I've never moved, and I'd be like, what? What? Yeah, I lived on this street all my life. Like, well, that's a bit weird. And then you realise, no, you're weird. Yeah. Uh, you know, but yeah, it's, it was ob- it, yeah, it was obviously not normal. Yeah. But that was half of its appeal, if I had to find an appeal. And it. what was your coping mechanism? Television. Um, I didn't realise this till after as well, but I was, I, I'm a collector of things because that's something I have control over as well. Um, uh, and, but, yeah, retreating into my um, imaginary worlds, mm-hmm. I would create all sorts of yeah, various um, imaginary playgrounds to, to lose myself in. And my sister helped me a lot too because she was older. Uh, so I was shielded from a little bit of it, but um, there was, yeah, so that, that helped too. Right. Yeah. Do you remember the first time that you got a, a genuine laugh from an older person? Yes, I do. Um, I do. I was doing a, um, I was doing a, a, a sketch almost for my grand. Uh, I was pretending to be on television. I was How doing, old were you? I was, I was just in Sydney, so I was about, I was, would have been about 11 or 12. I was doing Con the Fruiterer because mm. uh, we, we had a window in the kitchen that for, from the lounge room looked like a, a TV, so I was doing that, and I remember um, getting a laugh from that. But I never, it, it was never really a thing. I wasn't a funny kid, I don't think, but it more, when, when I got to high school um, and I started to... I would ju- I would get home and judge my day on how many people I made laugh. I go, well, that was a good day then. Mm. I could have been failing English, but I made everyone laugh at lunchtime. But you figured out where the funny was. You figured out, yeah, and that because of as I was saying, the research I'd done because um, I just watched TV and everything uh, and good TV and bad. I was lucky enough. I had taste <laughs> at even that age. So, and a lot of that was mum's third partner that um, got me into a little bit of good stuff. So I'd watch like the New Heart Show, um, the Red Green Show everything designing women golden girls like classic comedy learning from the masters i didn't know i was learning at the time but i was i was always learning and, and so golden girls in. was so well written so good just a and still monster, holds up today monsterly you know? yeah. sitcom yeah epic yeah yeah and but it, i also I, I i didn't mind the bad stuff either because you i could tell it was bad like you know facts of life that kind of thing growing growing pains all those sort of churn ones that weren't weren't classy but um yeah and yeah it was definitely I don't even know if I ever realised it was a coping mechanism where I just liked getting the laughs, you know, and then it just spiralled from there. The feeling of getting the laugh? Mm. What, what was it like when you first started to... Yeah, it was good. And the, the partner that mum was with was very funny. Um, very evilly funny. Um, <laughs> and that's rubbed off on me. That's why in high school I had a petition out against me that 150 people signed. But I recognise that now and I've apologised to most of the girls I went to school with for the eating disorders that I gave them. Um, Is that a joke or you... No, that's true. You were... I was horrible. 
your was horrible. main kid? I, w- I wasn't mean. I was hilarious was the thing. But I would find your weakness and I would ram an ice pick in it in front uh. of other people for the laugh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but if, if, you know, you, you look at a kid that does something like that mm. and you look at the life that you had to that point, mm. of course you're going to push back mm. against everything, against... You know, people that had things that you didn't have, people mm. that had stability. No, you know, it was secretly I was in love with them was the thing. Oh, really? <laughs> you know, it was all the girls that I liked, which oh. was worse. And then, you know, yeah. Well, had you had any display mm. in front of you of what a, what a healthy no. like looks like? No. Yeah. No, yeah. Well, exactly. Yeah. I was the same. Yeah. I never saw my parents hug, mm. let alone kiss. Yeah. Or maybe one time I think I saw them kiss mm. and I walked in on them having sex once. Right. But that was it. The yeah. whole time I knew them. Yeah. They never, I never saw them touch each other as they walked past in there. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. In the kitchen mm. or, or hug each other or have any physical affection whatsoever. So mm. I had no idea what it looked like. Yeah. So if you've never seen it, mm. all I had, and it's, it's, I still have this, is the romanticized idea from from movies and TV, mm. which yeah. is totally false and fucks us all up. Yeah, but I tried. I actually, I'm very good at it. Uh, my my vows were all about how I've discovered movie love with my partner and you know, yeah, that sort of thing. So, and that's how I try to treat her because that's what every woman deserves. Oh, well, there you go. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think? Yeah, that's another story. Um, so. so you were you okay at high school or were you legitimately failing things? No, I was good. I was that classic class clown. I could have I could have aced everything if I'd applied myself, but I was too busy getting the laugh. But I was B's and A's in some sort A's in drama and things, mm. B's in most things, and then C's in maths. I was never good at maths, and terrible I, I hated it. And I never use it now, kids. So don't bother. Um, but um, yeah, but, but no, I was I was fine, and I was a good student, uh, and I, I was actually a good teenager. I never drank or smoked or any of that sort of really? stuff. Really? Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Who was yeah. who was the friend with the bad influence then? Uh, no, that was just I, I. I'd always planned I, when I turned eighteen. I was like, well, now I'm allowed to. So you never touched a drink before then. I once at a school party, I drank half a cask of goon and I threw up in the on the bottom oval. And my gym teacher drove me home. Uh, and then I never never drank again. Wow. Until I was eighteen. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. See, I would have drunk the half a half a thing of goon, mm. vomited everywhere, mm-hmm. and then gone. Maybe I'm not doing it right. Yeah, right. Yeah, because my thing was like, I watched it on the movies, and when the drinking started, that's when that's all the, the fun cool happened. shit happened. Yeah. So I just keep drinking, waiting for the cool shit to start happening. Mm. Mm. Didn't mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> ever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I just keep drinking, hoping that that's when the cool stuff was going to start. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. Wow, you're fucking lucky. Uh, yeah. So, so I would I would stay sober and entertain people. And then at eighteen. 18, not, not that I went nuts with it, but I did, you know, I drank like any normal person, I would say. Normal uh, Queensland Normal Queensland, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I certainly made up for lost time. Um, but, yeah, it wasn't like a, 
a fall off the the wagon completely. Um, but yeah, I was uh, one of the main things that probably saved me from all that. And this is terrible, but it's where I get all my stuff. Um, I was a huge fan of Due South, the Canadian Mountie show, and his thing was all about morals and the law and manners. And yeah, I've got a lot of my personality from that show. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Now, I'm just trying to get like in the chronology of things, and from what I've heard you talk about it on air, mm. had you had any contact with your dad? During your upbringing? Yes, I went back uh, home a few times. I went back when I was 12 and, and met him again uh, and then went back when I was 21, which was the last time I saw him. What was that like? It's terribly, terribly sad. Um, that was uh, <laughs> one of the only things I wanted to do was go and have a beer with my father. And I went and had a beer with my father and he had 10 pints of Guinness and fell down and I had to drag him out of the pub. <laughs> yeah, which was not fun. Um but I got to see him, and I, I can clearly remember that when I knew when I hugged him for the last time, I was like, "This, that's the last time I'll see him." He's, How old was he? He was fifty-three, and he died six months later. But like a hard fifty-three. Oh, very hard fifty-three. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, he. I mean, from his point of view, he, his family, his kids moved as far away in those days as you could possibly go, with no way of getting in contact and no way of of keeping in a relationship with them. Uh, and he was a lovely man. He lived for us, apart from his, his faults. He did love us, so it, that broke him. Right. He was mm. quite young when he had you, wasn't he? Yeah, 20, 21, 22. 21, 22. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Was he working? No, various jobs, um, but not. he never held a job in his life, which was one of the problems. Um, um, he was a, He worked with guillotines in a, in a paper-cutting shop for a while. I believe he was a fire breather in the circus. Um, he was a movie projectionist for a while as well. I think that's uh, when mum met him, he was a film projectionist. He used to show old um, Bruce Lee movies yes. in the cinemas, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Did you spend... So how did you contact him? Was it the phone back then? Uh, my... Because um, Scotland um, families, you know. Uh, so my gran had kept in contact. And being Scotland and the fact that my mum has uh, two sisters and a brother and they were still kind of in the same circle. So they would see him from time to time. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, and so they would let him know that we were coming back and uh-huh. yeah, we would hook up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so how long did you spend that trip when you were 21? Um, with him a couple of times, maybe three or four. I was there for, um, well, I was in um, the country for six months, but I was only in Scotland for um, probably two of those months. So I, I tried to see him as much as possible. But, yeah. yeah. Occasionally it got a bit too hard and I was just, I don't know if I can deal with it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I saw him, saw him as much as I could. What was his name? Jim. Jim. Mm. And so how did you find out he passed away? Well, my sister was still living there. Uh, and I think... Uh, my, She'd moved back. Oh, yeah, we'd both moved over there. I was supposed to live there for, you know, that big thing you do when you turn 18, you move overseas and yeah. doss around London. Yeah. Uh, and then I missed everyone and came home. People don't do um, that anymore. They just stay living with their parents. Yes, they do. You should yeah. get out there and experience life. Uh, but she was still there and my grand still kept in contact with his mum. Uh, so we, we, we had, yeah, various ways of, of knowing. And, you know, they, they were a big... Grand's a big church person, so, uh-huh. yeah, she knew everything that was going on. Oh, there. yeah. Yeah, because her... her his mum only lived maybe three blocks up from, from my grand. Right. So, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, not having really had this man in your life, what was it now knowing that, well, now he's gone, mm. but gone, gone? But it takes away the chance, I think, of ever getting yeah. to, to know him. Uh, but uh, it's, it's a weird thing that happens when you're in another country, though, too, because for a while you can disassociate with it because he's not there every day anyway. Like, my grand passed away last year, but it, until I go back there and see it without her there, 
she can still sort of be there, uh-huh. you know. Um, so, yeah, it didn't really hit me too hard until – well, it did. I mean, I was very upset. Um, and I still can't watch Field of Dreams without crying at the end. Um, <laughs> I couldn't do that anyway beforehand. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was it was tough. It was just tough to know that that that, that part was gone. But uh, you know, you probably don't know this about me, but um, I'm not spiritual. But I mean, everyone's still there somewhere, and uh-huh. still you know, he's still watching on, and you know. Oh, okay. Yeah, somewhere I'd think. Yeah. How did that change you when you then came back to Australia? Uh, well, he hadn't died when I, when I came back. I came back um, and about I came back in June and then in September he passed away and I just got together with my wife, well girlfriend then but now wife. Um, yeah, it was it was tough, but it was it. I have a very different view of death than a lot of people. It's 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 going to happen to everybody, you know. So you just have to. They're dead, <laughs> you know. So. Take us through the my dad's dead joke, mm-hmm. which we probably get out about three times a week <laughs> on the show. I have upped it of recent times. It's pretty great. It, what's what's especially interesting is that Matt mm. and you anchor mm. his dad died when he was a similar age. He was twenty one when mm-hmm. his dad died as well, mm. um, and it broke him. Mm. And he's legitimately super sad yes. every time he thinks about it. Yes, yeah. but. When someone says, oh, I was out the back playing catch with that, and you go, oh, I don't know what that's like. It's my dad's dead. <laughs> I've, got, I've got friends. I've been using this joke for so long because that's the way I deal with stuff. Get, get the humour out of it, yeah. you know, because humour can be found in everything. I've got friends that I've known for so long. I was on the phone to Dan, a guy I've known since high school, and um, he said something. He was going hunting with his dad, and I said, I can't do that because my dad's dead. And I clearly heard his girlfriend in the background going, did he just say his fucking dad's dead? <laughs> <laughs> She predicted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she just the knows. moment that he dropped the dad line, yeah. she knew that's Stab's next move. Yeah, yeah. But it's just I, I do it. I do it because I like the shock of it. I do it because it's a way of keeping his memory alive for me. In, in all honesty, is using him in a joke is the highest form of respect I can pay a person. Uh, and I do it on the radio. I do it for a specific reason. I love this. Is because, and you get it more than anyone else I've worked with. People never used to get this. The fourth time I do it, everyone else on the show is like, oh, God, here we go. And to everyone else listening for the first time, which you get a lot of in radio, they think you are complete monsters. <laughs> and this poor guy is talking about his dead dad, and all you want him to do is shut up about it. And I just, I, and then the other side of it is the people that know that I do it all the time that listen know what I'm doing and can hear the same thing happening. And I just, I love, I used to love that. But you, you got that very early on, and now you set me up for it. But it's a lot of fun. You know, I know, right? I know. <laughs> And the shock of it to people, and just the way that people don't know, like when I said to Grant Denyer, he's like, you know, we get families on, it's like, I can never go on your show, I'd be one man down because my dad's dead, and you just sort of keep, roll on. But not to say that I'm not emotional about it, but it's just, it's a way of using it, instead of it being a negative, it's a way of making it a positive. That's a beautiful you know? thing. It's <laughs> <laughs> a beautiful thing. But yeah, everybody will die, and we, I think we forget about that a mm, lot. It's so many people are scared of it, not, you know... It's just it's a it's a fact of life. It's going to happen. People don't like to talk about it. People try to shy away from it. It's it, it which is stupid in my book because there's no avoiding it. So you may as well be you know out and about about I it. I almost got away with the flaming lips song. Do you realize as the the song that Audrey and I walked um, back down the aisle together to at mm. her wedding, mm. and I played it. And she goes, "Oh, wow, this is really nice." Do you realize mm. that we're floating in space? 
Do you realize you have the most beautiful face? Do you realize that everyone, you know, someday will die? She went, what? <laughs> Hang on. And instead of saying all of your goodbyes, she's like, wait, wait a whoa, fucking whoa, second whoa, here. Whoa, whoa. So really, she, she was right into it for the first three lines. I should have stopped it. Yeah. Like, right, I'm yeah. glad you're into it. Yeah. But nah. No. Nah. But yeah, I'll, you know that. You know, there's certain things that make you, you know, realize things. And I remember just listening to that song over and over and over again, just going, oh, yeah, Wayne Coyne. Maybe there is something in taking vast amounts of psychedelics and, uh, Ooh, definitely. you know, <laughs> <laughs> touching that space. Realizing, yeah. Yeah. realizing you're, you know, at one, at one with the universe, which mm-hmm. I've, I have never done mm-hmm. uh, because uh, my, my brain is, I was always too afraid to take mm. acid, but that didn't stop me from trying just about everything else. Mm. But at some point, uh, and just through our conversations, at some point, you started realizing there were other things outside of alcohol. Mm. Do you remember, you know, who's the first person that passed you a joint? Do you remember that? Yeah, uh, a guy um, I went to high school with uh, who was the, the school supplier. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, the, and I never really, I, I never thought, like even if I, if I look back now, I'd never call myself a pothead, even though for about 10 to 15 years I smoked every day. Um, but it just sort of crept, crept up on me, I guess. Uh, and then classic story ended up in the in the comedy world, you know, uh, and there was drugs everywhere and you just go, okay. And I, I had the same thing with you that you have. I, I never wanted to do something that would detach me from myself because if, if I lose, like, I don't like going to, this is horribly ignorant of me, but I don't like going to a foreign country where I don't speak the language because if you take away my ability to be witty right off the back of something that you say, that's my entire personality gone and I feel very lost. Um, so I never wanted to get to that stupid stage where I, I can't chat or talk to it. And, and, but I've never found a drug that didn't, take away that part of me i'm always in there somewhere it might be through a haze but there's still, i'm still there uh, so yeah I, I did a bit of acid i didn't enjoy it too much it was it's too dirty a drug for me and the, the come down's too horrible but um I, I, yeah I'll, I'll dabble in anything apart from the, the big heavy stuff when did you who was the first person that said um i mean i heard about this today is mm. that the bloke that emceed our sound guy adrian's wedding mm. uh you and cat your wife said mate you're all over this. Mm. You should get up on stage. You should do an open mic. Mm-hmm. And tonight he's going up. Yes, he is. He's going up for five yes. minutes. When was the first time that someone said that to you? You should get up there. Um, I don't know if anyone actually said that I should. It was more, I, I came to a conclusion that I could either work in dead end jobs all my life, which I don't mind. I, I worked at Subway and I loved that job, like legitimately loved it. I loved working at Blockbuster. Um, but I realized that that would be it for me if I didn't try it. Um, so university was never, no, no, I didn't want to go to university for four years and get a job I hated. Um, plus I could never really nail down what I would want to be anyway. Um, so, but having said, I entered into the raw comedy competition, triple J, um, two years in a row and didn't turn up cause I chickened out, uh, and then went, this is, you got to do it. Otherwise, what are you going to do? So, um, entered in 2000, um, got down to Melbourne for the national finals and was starting to get paid work within three months of, wow. of, of starting comedy. Yeah. And how long, uh, how long did you do that before the knock on the door came about this gig? Uh, let's see. So I've been doing this for 12 years, 2000, started this in 2005, five years before I got breakfast radio. So you were doing stand up, you were living as a stand up for five years or were you? I or- live, uh, did stand up, but I also, um, ran a, a coffee shop, managed a coffee shop in town. Yeah, which allowed me the ability to to do stand up as well. Yeah. Would you tour? 
I could, I toured occasionally, but I couldn't tour as much as I, I wanted to. But that's a sacrifice I've made all through my career. Uh, and you get, I used to get a lot of, a lot of comedians were like, if you don't just do comedy, then you're not a true comedian. You're like, well, I'm a true comedian, except I can afford a house. You know, and I work twice as hard as you because I work a full day job and then I'd still do stand up. So shut yeah. up, you know. Um, but I always try to, and that, my wife did the same thing, except I had the ability to disassociate myself from my day job so I could get a shit kicker job that I didn't care about. Still put in 100%, but it wasn't my profession. And then to go and do stand up, which is what I love. Whereas she had the problem where she would get a job that she wanted to put in 110% with and still do 110% with comedy. So she was always conflicted mm-hmm. with that and, and putting in too much to either one or the other. So, um, yeah, but uh, it's it was it was tough for a while. It was, it's a hard, it, you know, busy um, busy life. But you got to live to be a comedian. You know, you got to get out there and, and do stuff. And it gave me great material. By by you've got to live to be a comedian. You mean you can't, you know, wake up at the crack of noon, mm. do a couple of hits on a bong, yeah. uh, watch eight hours of Star Trek Generations, exactly, and then do five minutes at three different clubs. You actually got to go out and do stuff yeah. in your day. Yeah, and interact with people and yeah, talk to people. Yeah. Did the day gig help that? Yeah, because I was uh, that. My, all my ga- day gigs consisted around two things: talking to customers because I loved it, and the freebies I would get. So <laughs> Subway, I got free subs. Uh, Blockbuster, I got free videos, uh, and the coffee shop, I, I pretty much got free coffee and lunch and, and stuff. But um, but it also allowed me to interact with people, and like I've still got friends from customers from every right. job. But it's also research. You're, exactly, you're talking exactly. to people, human, yeah. human beings, whom you otherwise wouldn't interact with. Yeah. Yeah, and you got to. And so, so many comedians are wrapped up in, in being a comedian that they forget that they need to get life, um, yeah. you know, yeah. There's kind of, there's a few paths you can go down as a stand-up. You can, you know, and it, and it, and it comes in different turns uh, as the, you know, whatever is current at the moment becomes, mm. um, becomes uh, you know, that's what people want to hear and people mm. want to see. Um, you know, for a while there, there was all that Stephen Wright, just one-liners, just smashing so it, smashing it, smashing it. Yeah. But he did the same 45 minutes for mm. 10 years yeah. before the internet. Mm-hmm. He would do the same 45 minutes. But what a 45. And tour yeah. the world yeah. and make squillions. Yeah, I know that um, I know that routine off by heart. Oh, sure, of course you do. Yeah. Um, and then there was the, you know, uh, then you start to get into the more Bill Hicksian mm-hmm. kind of commentary around the world yep. and then... And you start to just all crowd work like Russell Peters or yeah. something. And that's now, I guess now with Jim Jeffries is sort of coming back into the, almost the Bill Hicks kind mm-hmm. of. And world. the Louis C.K. And the Louis C.K. stuff yeah. of everyone, you know, I mean, from what my, my friends who are stand-ups say, um, there's, a, there's a few young guys who are like in their 20s trying mm. to pull out Louis C.K. stuff, mm-hmm. but they haven't lived. Yeah. Yeah, and they, they get the offensive part without the cleverness. Uh, but they do say, great quote, I can't remember who said it, but a great comedian will ruin the next generation of comedians because they're trying to be him without having the ability to be him, you know. And um, Louis C.K. is definitely doing that. You get them all up there doing pedophile jokes, but there's not the cleverness or the years of craftsmanship behind Louis C.K. stuff, so it's just them talking about pedophiles and it's offensive. Yeah. You know? yeah. It's, yeah. it's icky. Mm. So w- did you take a while to find where was good for you? Um, no, because I, I was, I mean, the first set I ever did, I'm still doing material from it. Because it's just too good to give up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I, I think I always knew the sort of comedian I wanted to be. It's it's pretty much. I'm very lucky, even in radio, that the person that they want me to be is who I am anyway. Like I was, just, oh, I, I'm. I, what I'm talking about on the radio when I'm doing all my jokes and stuff is how I talk at a dinner party. And I remember I used to have friends and be like, you know, you can turn off, mate. You have to be on around me. I'm like, I'm not on. This is just <laughs> who I am. And I ended up 
shutting down when I was around them because they didn't, yeah, you know. And I'm just, but this was this was who I, I am. Um, but yeah, so no, I'm just it's it's just who very quippy, very quick fire, very punny. Not yeah. very, not very storytelly, but very punny. And yeah. uh-huh. I also I do like I am I don't think I am, but then I listen back to myself and I am quite outrageous sometimes, quite shocking occasionally. Um, and I don't do that on purpose, but it's just, the, yeah, I find that that's the easiest way to write. And then I flash my dimples and I'm cute. <laughs> <laughs> how, uh, how much do you think your influences still come through? I remember you telling me once that you, like almost, you might have watched The Mask every day. Yeah, Ace Ventura probably, yeah. Oh, the Ace Ventura. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah and Seinfeld and, and Stephen Wright, to be, to be fair. But not so much their styles, just their... I think just their dedication to the, the craft and, you know, I mean, I, I dally on. No one's going to commit more than Jim Carrey. No, but I did dally on with getting up on stage without any material. And I, for a while there, I'd just take the paper up and point to articles and do gear off that, um, which worked mildly effectively. Um, but yeah, I think I just more, you are who you are. So I'm not going to try to be Jerry Seinfeld. I can't write like that. So yeah, I just sort of be me and hope that other people, I, I find my <laughs> I find myself really funny, <laughs> and so I figure if I find myself funny, then you know. Oh, it, that's okay. Uh, you know, yeah. But you know, you you. Heard Who's funnier, you or Cat? Very different styles is our, our Sweden answer. Um, she's very storyteller. Yeah. And I'm very punny, so I, I don't give her. She is hilarious, and she's probably I think she's uncredited as being one of the most prolific writers of material too. She'll change her set more than anyone I know working. Um, but she's brilliant, but just different different forms of brilliant i think yeah so she's not funny around the house as much um you know she's very when she's on she's on what were you telling me the other day that your, your daughter is repeating things that she hears and one of the things she repeats is that's, that's a, a keeper, keeper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah she's going to be messed up in a completely different way than, than i am yeah it's great so yeah. i worked at this station where i uh, hit 105 in brisbane which was called b105 when i worked here i started in 94 um, and I left in 98, and at the time, the morning show, the breakfast show, was uh, Jamie Dunn, Ian Skippen, and a, a rotating cast of characters, which included Donna Lynch and Robin Bailey. I think Robin Bailey stayed until the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jamie was the king mm. of this country, mm-hmm. of this part of the world, the undisputed ruler of the radio throne. Mm. Um had been to Sydney, had done Two Day FM, had, you know, come back because he didn't like, you know, the scene down there. Mm. Was because he grew up in Brisbane, was just the man about town. Yeah, he was a yeah. fucking Lord Mayor. Yeah. He was. Mm. And then it was time to go. Mm. And this station was like, well, who are we going to get on instead? And mm. they could have plucked anyone from around the network. Mm. They could have got anyone, but instead they looked around locally for someone. How did they find you? Well, I think the thing was I wasn't the name because they had Gabby Milgate from Muriel's Wedding uh, that they wanted to pin the, the show on, I think. But they, they auditioned pretty much every... She's the your terrible Muriel person. Yes, she is, and she will not let you forget that. Um, but she's, um, so they auditioned every comedian in Brisbane pretty much, uh, and me and my wife actually auditioned as a, as a double act. Uh, as a like cat and stab kind of a show, uh, and then they didn't want her and wanted me, which was awkward in my house for about a year. Really? Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was <laughs> did you come in for the audition together? Yeah, we did. A, we did a demo together. Yeah. Did they try you on your own? Yes. Each? After that, yes. Oh. Yeah. Uh, and then they put me on a night show to learn the, the chops with Mike Van Acker, a, a great um, 
Brisbane stand-up comic as well, mate of mine from back in the day, and uh, Whipper, who's now on Nova with um, Whipper. God, and, what was he, 12? I know, right? We were all young and, and, and crazy. We didn't know what we were doing. So I did the night show for a while, and then they whittled it down to, to me and Mike, uh, and it was me, Mike, and Gabby uh, on the show. So you did, what, 7 till 10? Uh, um, we did, like, I think it was like 10 till midnight. Oh, 10 till midnight. Yeah. Right. So I'd work in the coffee shop all day and then ride my bike over here, still in my coffee uniform, and do the night show and then wash, rinse, and repeat. Well, there's a great story about you meeting the general manager like that, isn't <laughs> yes, it? Yes, yes, Guy Dobson, God bless him. And he's like, I was out on the balcony. I was covered in coffee grinds. You know, it's like when you work in a cafe, I smelled like coffee. He's like, what are you coming here looking like shit for, mate? What are you coming here? Like, put some real clothes on. It's like, why don't you give me a fucking job and I won't have to do this anymore? Because they were, like, stringing me along, um, as they do. Uh, you, you can't get an answer out of a big corporation about if you're going to be here for the next year until they, they're fully... Like next you know, month. Yeah, you know. Um, so, yeah, it was like, I just, I want to do this. I'm, I'm here for you, but I also... And then, because and then, I'm such an... My, bo- my boss at the coffee shop was like, that's great. As I came in and said, I've got the gig. That's great. Uh, can you give me three months notice? And I was like, I have to. I've worked with him for five years. He's been wonderful to me. So I was still doing the breakfast show and working in the coffee shop for um, a month after. So I, you I got would the get gig. off air here at nine, and go and do, do a, a planning meeting, <laughs> do whatever you need to do as the new breakfast show yeah. launched on B105, yeah. and then go work in a coffee, coffee shop. shop. He, he let me out of it eventually. He said, You can't do that. For, yeah. But it was only, so it was only for about, because we had Christmas holidays while they sorted it out. So I think it only worked out to be about a week or two. And he was like, I thank you, but you don't have to do this anymore. Wow. Yeah. And for someone who grew up in instability, mm. what was it like now to have a gig that looked like it wasn't going to go away? No, God, no. Uh, this gig always looked like it was going to go away. <laughs> I've never been confident in this role. Every year for the last five years, I've said this was my last year. This, you know, you just never know. What, you were going to step out or they're no, they going to gonna ask go? me to go? Yeah. Um, so that's probably helped that I'm used to the instability. And I think it was probably about five years in when I just realized every day I walked into the coffee shop could have been my last day in the coffee shop. You know, Darren could have fired me like that. And then you're in the same position. So stop worrying about it and just enjoy the, enjoy the ride. What about once you got to a position where you're living with a woman Mm. and she may have different ideas about, you know, living in five houses in five years and you ended up, you know, putting money down and, and, and buying a house. Did mm. that? That was a great feeling. That felt real. That was a great feeling. Yeah, yeah. I walked in and nailed a nail into the wall <laughs> for no reason. Wasn't even going to hang anything on there. It's just it's my house. <laughs> yeah, and even we. I've moved once since we bought the house into the new one for Rory, my daughter, so she would have space. Um, but just to have your own place is amazing to me. I love it. Yeah, and to not have a box ready to go at any any moment. Yeah. What's it like to give your daughter something that you didn't have? Yeah, 50-50 on that at this, because I, I would be the kind of guy, and my wife probably won't let me be, which is good, I would be the kind of guy that would stay in the same street for the rest of her life just because of my upbringing. But having said that, the experiences that I, I, I garnered from it and the people that I met and stuff, moving around isn't a death sentence, you know, and if you're strong, you, can, you become a better person for it. Um, so I don't want to deprive her of that either. Um, so it's 50-50. I'll move if I have to. Um, and look, if my wife turned around to me tomorrow and said I want to move to China, then we'd talk about it and we'd move to China. You've been in this gig from when you were, <laughs> went from coffee shop mm-hmm. to breakfast radio mm-hmm. and you've been here for 12 years. Mm. Uh, when I first came to work here, they went, oh, you're going to be staff. The Survivor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have you counted how many co-hosts you've had? Uh, co-hosts? No, seven shows. So... So probably about 10 co-hosts, 
maybe more. Seven different lineups. Yeah. And you've always been here. Yeah. Gabby, Mike, and Stav. Gabby, Mike, and Stav with Camilla. Labby, Camilla, and Stav. Stav and Abby. Stav, Abby, and Osher. Um, Stav, Abby, Matt, Matt, Osher, and whatever it is now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so six. Six. Yeah. Wow. Mm, yeah. What's, what's your secret? Uh, I just, you know what my secret is? I just do my job, you know? And I just keep my head down. There's a lot, you, you know, God, love Abby. I love it a bit. And even Matt to a certain extent. They're so radio people. I never listened to radio before I got into it. Never heard of Breakfast Show. The only thing I listened to was The Shebang with Marty Sheargold, which was an amazing show. I used to listen to that in the coffee shop. And uh, Martin Malloy, because I was a big fan of The Late Show. Um, but I never listened to any breakfast shows. Um, I just do what they tell me to do, to a certain extent. Um, do the job I've been hired for. I've been hired to be the funny person. And I don't get involved in all the rest of the... Sales, what's this happening doing? This person's moved here. Rove and Sam are not doing well. well what are we going to do? And this guy's moved to this thing. It, it doesn't concern me. It's not my job. I just stay out of it and do, my, do the job that I'm paid to do. That's, that's, and, I'm, and thankfully, I'm good at it. Um, but yeah. And the interesting, with that, the interesting thing about having so many different um, shows, it's, it's constantly changed. Uh, so they go, now you're this. You're like, cool, I can do that. And now you're this. Cool. Now you're, talk a bit less. Okay. Now come back, talk a bit more. Now, so, you know, it's, it's always been changing. So. so when they say things like, talk a bit less, mm -hmm. when they say things like, well, there's four of you now mm. in the room, mm. um, Stav, we need you to, hang on a second, is Ego trying to get me? Our boss is looking out the window. Hang on a sec. Yeah. I thought we were doing it at one. I was once a time. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. Can you give me five minutes? Yeah, a little bit. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Fuck. Daylight saving. Yeah. Um, so, and that, that, you know, so this phone call I'm about to get on, it might be, Osher, we need you to talk a bit less. Mm. Um, and thankfully, my ego is a different place now mm. than it was. Mm -hmm. Um but it's most definitely there. Yeah, right. That does happen in radio. People say, we need you to lay back a bit. Mm -hmm. And I'm definitely a person who was like, hang on a fucking second. Mm. What, what did you get me from in the first place? Mm -hmm. This is what I'm here to do. Yeah. How do you deal with, with that? I don't care. I still get paid the same. <laughs> and I don't have, I, luckily, I don't have an ego uh, as far as I, well, not a huge ego. Um, I like being famous. I like being recognized um, when I go out and things, but if it went away, I wouldn't, I wouldn't miss it. Um, but as long as I, you know, I'm, it's a very privileged job that we do. Those three hours on air are a remarkable time. Uh, it's all the rest of the bullshit that's terrible, uh, all the meetings and stuff. But that three hours on air when I, I'm, because for me, I'm saying it to you guys in the room and you guys are laughing, but maybe... Tom in his car is laughing as well. And I'm, so I'm making people laugh. So as long as I still have the ability to make people laugh and get paid to do that, then tell me to talk less as much as you want. Tell me to talk more as much as you want. But, <laughs> yeah, but it's just... So how do, you, how do you adapt when they say something like, oh, that bloke from The Bachelor is going to show up. He reckons he can go breakfast radio now. Mm -hmm. 
that was really looking forward. Well, I, again, I've had so many changes um, that it's just it's <clears throat> it's like uh, any other job where hey hey now Tom's going to make sandwiches with you. You're like okay, there's always a concern, and it always happens at the end of our holiday, at the end of our year, and then we come we have eight weeks or six weeks of holidays um, to worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, generally, it's always been good. I mean, I've I've loved working with you uh, the last few years. It's been great. I, but, don't, I don't want to make this into a ball washing competition, <laughs> no, but right. um, anyone. I, I, I am still trying to figure out how you are as fast as you are. Yeah. It, it, it boggles my mind. Thank I can you. only think, you know, fucking 12 years of three hours a day, mm. five days a week, 200 shows a year, mm. that'll sharpen the blade. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That'll it, sharpen the blade. That, that is a concern of mine because it, it is my thing and, I'm, you know, as you get older, am I going to get slower? But I've always right. been this fast, I must say. Like oh, in high yeah. school, everyone's like, you should be like the next David Letterman. Wow. Um, that sounds like I'm... Big noting myself. No, but, not at all. Uh, not I've, at all. As I've said to you, and this is true, a lot of the time when I say something, I laugh at it because the first time I hear it is when it comes out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I hear it coming out and I go, oh, that was brief. Have <laughs> you ever figured out, is there a particular thing you go for? Like, do you particularly go for reversals or you particularly go for puns? Have you ever kind of figured out the maths behind the funny? Yeah, I have. I think it's one of the reasons why I like cryptic crosswords so much. It's all words. And as soon as you're saying a word, I sort of, I have like a, a file of facts of just, oh, that can refer to that or that can refer to that or. Yeah. And it just sort of, but it just seems to happen subconsciously without me even even doing it, and then poof, it comes comes right. out. Um, and the one th- sad thing about it is, it's made me realise that I can't host my own show. Uh, I need to be like if I was if I was in America, I wouldn't be Conan. I'd be Andy Richter. Oh right, where I'd want to be Conan, but I need to have the people to feed off of. So for me, especially when you're saying when you were coming on, for me, the more people on the show, the better. The more people I've got to work off of, and for them to say something stupid or, or clever yeah. or funny that I can then fire back at, yeah, that's that's fine for me. You know, it's good. I love the interaction between people. Uh huh. Yeah. You still enjoy it? Love it. I love it more than I ever have. I had some down years uh, working with some people that were nightmares. Uh, I won't name any names because they're lovely now and, and it wasn't their fault. Um, but it, it, some days were really tough uh, and L- Labby and me got each other through a lot of dark times and by saying that I've just named the person. <laughs> uh, but it, it was Cam- Camilla from Big Brother was a, a special person but we've, she's lovely now and I don't blame her for anything. She was thrown into the deep end uh, coming straight into Big Brother into Breakfast Radio and she was one of the first people to do that. Um, but that, there were some struggles and some stand-up arguments in the in the studios and things and grey hairs and things. Uh, but then since Abby came on, it was the easiest it's ever been and I love working with her, uh, always have, and she's she's amazing. And um, it, it's it's so much more laid back than it ever has been, you know, and that's a credit to you and to Matt and, and Abby that we're at that stage. It should be fun. It needs to be fun. And when it's not, I think you can hear it. But, yeah, no, I love it now. And I, I, I think when I learnt to say no was a big part of when I started having more fun because I did gotcha calls for three years and I fucking hated those things. On principle, I hated those things. It was horrible, but I had to do them. Uh, they were not that I was forced to, but I knew that the job required it of me, so I did it. Um, but then when I turned around and went, I'm not not doing this anymore, and and any other thing like, hey, do you want to drink cow semen? You know, it was back in those days, and I'd do anything that they asked me to. And then one day I went, no, I'm, I think I'm past that now. No, you know, and that was that opened up a lot more enjoyment. So I'll still do stuff, but I just know that I've got the ability to say no to the stuff that I absolutely wouldn't do. You know, yeah. So you're saying by saying no, you've opened up a lot more to say yes to. Yes. Yeah. Look at that. Mm. Yeah. And you also you don't want to be that guy that says no to everything. So I'll I'll do some stuff that I'm uncomfortable with. I mean, they're looking at us doing some stuff this year. Um, 
I don't know if I can say it because we'll be giving away secrets, but it's not that I'm uncomfortable with them. I think they're old hat radio things. But I'll do them if the rest of the team uh, want to do them and they're, they're keen as mustard. And it's not that it won't work. It's just, well, I don't think it'll work. But it'll be fine. No, but uh, I don't want to do them either. I know, so right? if, we don't, if we both don't want to do them, yeah. we might be okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but it, and, and then again, though, it does push your boundary. This job has brought me out of my shell so much that uh, I'm grateful for that. I used to, you know, I could, if I walked into a party and I didn't know anyone... I, I wouldn't even do that. I wouldn't even put myself in that situation. And now I could I could go anywhere and and be quite right. confident. Yeah. Where do you see yeah. you know, Where do you see radio going? I mean, I hear some, I hear some radio, and I won't you know I won't say who. Mm. But now that I'm right back into radio, um, certainly in the last few days, and I've been travelling around a lot, um, listening to radio in in South Africa, listening to radio in Sydney, listening to radio in Melbourne. You know, I hear, you know, what have you found in the vacuum cleaner bag? Give us a call, 18, you know, 1300 777. And I'm like, oh, God, you know, I find a lot of like kind of really pedestrian phoner stuff. I mm-hmm. find that, I find that dull. Mm-hmm. What I love is hearing actual authenticity mm-hmm. come through and, 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 and humans' stories. Mm-hmm on the radio and, and I guess you know that that's what I'm loving and I, I would like to hear more of that but I'm not a content director mm-hmm. where do you see radio going if we're not going to be drinking cow soon and, and jumping off things <laughs> I don't know I'm constantly amazed that radio is surviving because I, I'm amazed it survived the advent of television because you can see it um, but it seems to be an unkillable beast oh and then when the iPods came in and because I'll be I don't listen to the radio Part of my, I think it's part of why I survive. Yeah, you know, like Abby will come in and go, "Did you hear what they were doing on Nova?" Or you know, and you're like, "I don't care what they do. I don't care what we're doing here when I'm not here. <laughs> I really don't, because um, I've got my own music that I can listen to, and I've got a big catalog of music that I love, and I don't want someone to dictate to me what I'm going to hear and then have an ad in between. So I don't know how it survived the advent of iTunes and Spotify, but it seems to seems to do it. So I don't know. I think a lot of it's going to be. You see a lot of web content now, and a lot of, um, but. I don't know for for all how long it's been around. It really hasn't changed that much, you know. Um, it's still sort of the same sort of thing. I think more and more it's it's give back rather than, you know, there used to be a lot more pranks on on society and the big radio pranks. But I think that the community is so savvy now they actually are aware that that's just a ratings grab. So it's not even enjoyable for them because they just know you're doing it to get the attention to get the brand out there. Like they really know what, what that's about. Let's crush a car while you know, while and then we'll give you a new car. Can't, everyone knows what they're about. Um, so I don't know. Maybe just more honesty. I think because when it comes down to it, the people must still be listening to the radio purely for the personalities on the radio. So and I always say this. I mean, they want. Do you want, we want big noisemakers? Let's dangle off a bridge and do the show off a bridge, rah rah. And I've done thousands of those in my career. And people come up and say, I remember that time you talked to your grand on the radio just before she passed away. Or I remember that time you went to, um, you got your husband on and you talked about how you guys weren't happy. It's that stuff that people remember, not the, hey, I got shot by a, a gun with a bulletproof vest on and then they tasered me till I pissed myself. You know, that's, that's not what gets remembered. You're right. I know. <laughs> no, no, but you're ab- you're absolutely right. This is exactly what I'm, you know, yeah. exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, well, good because I didn't want to be shot with a taser this year. I, that one is what I would actually do. Really? <laughs> you're not going to die, but just be, uh, since I've become a parent, actually, a lot of the stunts I would say no to. I once said yes to water skiing down the Brisbane River in a meat suit, um, but teaser, uh, HR said that was that was not going to happen. Uh, due to the bull sharks, but yeah. <laughs> if yeah. I can keep you out of a meat suit until the end of this year, yep. I'll be happy. Okay, good. There's there's a challenge. 
um, I'm sorry we have to. I, I would have. I could have talked to you for hours, but um, our, our boss is outside the window. Work. We have to, I get, have back to, to work. get on a phone call. Um, thank you, Stav. Thank you. Osha. I'm really grateful that we could have this chat. Me too. I've been looking forward to it for a while. Yeah, man. Thanks heaps. Anytime. So that was Stav Davidson. You can find him on Twitter at Stav105. You can find him on Instagram at StavHit105. He is a uh, very funny man, a very interesting human being, and I couldn't be more happy to have brought you his show today. Uh, Thank you so much to everyone that supports the show at Patreon.com. Thank you to Stav for being so generous with his story. Um, Look after yourself this week. Uh, strap your ankle, or in my case, or strap whatever it is that needs to be strapped around your body or brain. Give yourself the support you need. Remember that none of us do it alone. Happy podcasting week. Thanks for listening. I'm so grateful you're here. All right, I'm off to take a little girl to water polo, and it's going to be great. Until I talk to you next time, sleep well and dream of beautiful things. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.